Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We all know the best theology or philosophy or best quotes, uh, they're not usually found in books or classrooms. They're found on bumper stickers, right? Uh, well, the other day I saw a bumper sticker and it said, we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. This is the bumper sticker I saw. And while I understand kind of the sentiment behind this, I just immediately couldn't help but think of all the negative effects of this kind of thinking, right? This elevation of the spiritual above the physical has contributed to harmful understandings and theologies of the body, to a neglect for the physical needs of the, of the poor, right? And it's led to a, a disconnection in many Christian circles from what it means to be a Christian and what it means to help meet the real needs of the world around us. But at the same time, I have to be honest, this week and last as I was rereading the story of the Samaritan woman at the well with Jesus, I, I kind of understood why someone would make this bumper sticker. I kind of understood what would lead them to believe that the spiritual is more important than the physical, right? At first glance at this story, it can kind of seem like Jesus doesn't really care about this woman's physical need for water, but he immediately jumps to her spiritual need for living water. It made me ask the question, does Jesus care about physical needs? Or would he argue that, would he kind of agree, actually, with this bumper sticker that the, the spiritual is more important than the physical? Well, thankfully, if you were here last week, Melissa kind of did a deep dive looking at almost the whole narrative of the Bible, starting in Genesis and ending with Revelation. And she very clearly made the case for why God does, in fact, care deeply about the needs of his creation. God created humanity and he created the earth to be able to sustain and nourish all of his creatures. And we've taken it astray to the point where people do face these physical needs. There are countless examples of God caring first and foremost about the basic physical needs and desires of his creation. One that stuck out to me last week uh, is from Isaiah 55. It says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. So if I had to summarize, I'm not going to be able to redo all that Melissa did last week, but if I had to summarize what she said last week with one sentence, it would be this. God cares deeply about the surface level needs and desires of his creation, and we should care about them too. But today, I want to build on that. I want to look at this story of the woman at the well and, and see how God cares not only about our surface level needs, but also about our deeper longings and desires. Not because they're more important, but because they sit a little bit deeper, a little bit beneath the surface. They're a little bit less obvious. God cares deeply about those desires and needs as well. Because the reality is that for all of us as humans, we're living in a world where we face unsatisfied desires. We all have longings, hunger, thirst that have not yet been met. Any Bruce Springsteen fans or am I aging myself here, right? He's got that song, everybody's got a hungry heart, right? Everybody's got a hungry heart. He's just speaking the truth right there. I mean, that guy can preach. We all have 
We all live with, with deep hungers and longings for more. There are those surface level desires that we all have for a nice cup of coffee in the morning or a walk by the lake on a warm afternoon coming soon. There's those day-to-day desires we have to get together with a friend or relax and watch a movie. But then there are those deeper desires, those desires we have, those of us who are eager to finish school or to finally settle into what feels to us like a meaningful career. Some of us are longing to find that intimate relationship or to start a family or have children, right? Some of us are longing to just find a sense of peace and contentment in our everyday lives. But if we're honest, there's also some of us who are pretty out of touch with our desires. You may have been raised in a culture that spoke negatively about desire, or even in a church that mistakenly taught and took this verse out of context. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Maybe you've been taught that desire is sinful and that the purpose of Christianity is really about ridding yourself and letting go of your desires. Now, on the one hand, there's a a level of truth to that. We all do carry around disordered desires, desires for the wrong things, and those would be good for us to let go of. But desire at its core, deep down, true desire is a good thing. Desire is what drives us to make certain choices in our lives. It's what causes us to act in both large and small ways. We're not robots driven by duty alone. No, at the end of the day, we're all motivated by desire, by what we long for and what we love both surface level ones and deeper longings. And this was the case for the woman at the well. She lived with unsatisfied desire. Of course, she faced that surface level thirst, that desire that led her to go draw water at the well. But there's so much more to the story than that. And that's what I want us to see this morning. So um, we're going to begin, we're going to look at this story of the woman at the well, and then we're going to kind of see what does that mean for us today. But when Jesus comes into the picture for this woman, I love just the more and more that they have a conversation, the more that Jesus and this woman speak, the more that she uncovers the depth of her desire, what she's truly thirsty for. At first, she simply thirsts for water, but Jesus offers her more. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. Jesus says this to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus makes this offer to this woman, and I find her response here to be pretty interesting, right? She doesn't immediately grasp what Jesus is saying here. She kind of sees that he's offering her something. So she responds. She responds to his offer and she does say that, okay, uh, she wants that, right? But the reason she wants the living water is so that she doesn't have to keep coming back to the well to draw water when she's thirsty. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The woman assumes that Jesus is offering to meet her surface level thirst for water. And frankly, I don't blame her, right? This makes sense if you had this encounter. She lived in a time where there was no running water. She couldn't just turn on the faucet for more. And going to draw water from a well was not exactly an easy task, right? Often these wells were far outside of town and they were labor intensive to have to get the water out and then heavy to have to carry it back to the community. I mean, we 
drink a lot of water in my house, I get annoyed just having to go fill up the water pitcher every two to three hours to get filtered water, right? I could imagine that this was not exactly something she enjoyed doing. So Jesus's offer for living water would have been really appealing. But again, Thirst for water was only her surface level desire. And Jesus here wants to go deeper. Let me reiterate, Jesus cares deeply about her surface level desire and thirst for water, right? But he knows deep down she also has a deeper longing that just her her surface level desire cannot be met, right? So Jesus continues to draw out her deeper desires. They, they just keep talking. He begins just talking to her about her life, right? He, he kind of brings out the fact that she's been divorced five times and she's now with a man who's not her husband. And we don't have time to do a deep dive into marriage and divorce in this context, but I do want to point out one really, really important thing that I misunderstood when I, when I used to read this passage and I just began to see what Jesus is really doing here. He's not calling her out for an immoral past or for having too many failed marriages. In fact, at the time, it would have been almost impossible for her to be the one to divorce her husband. It was much, much, much easier and much more common for men to divorce their wives. So more realistically, she has been broken up with five times, right? So rather than trying to call her out, Jesus is actually pointing out the difficulty and the pain that she's experienced in her life. And he's sympathizing with her. He's trying to show her that he understands her hurt and her past and what she's been through, right? He's trying to reveal to her not only that he cares, but also that he's, he's there and he can, he can help. He can do something about it because he's more than just another person. He's the Messiah. And thankfully, she's starting to get that point, right? So Jesus says this to her. They're talking about her, her past. And here's what she says to Jesus in verses 19 and 20. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Okay, this seems a little weird that she begins talking about worship now, but I think what what John, who wrote this story about Jesus and this woman at the well, wants us to see is that this conversation is getting deeper and deeper. It's shifted from a surface-level thirst for water to discussing her difficult life and past to now they're talking about worshiping God, right? The conversation just gets deeper and deeper. And without reading all the verses, we just see it shift from the surface level to the spiritual level. They go back and forth about what it really looks like to truly worship God. And eventually the woman just kind of says, look, okay, I'm not going to keep arguing with you. I know that the Messiah is coming and he will eventually explain everything to us. So she kind of squashes the argument there. But Here's how Jesus responds. And this is kind of the the peak of the story, the most important moment of the story. So this woman, uh, forget it. I know the Messiah will explain everything when he comes. Here's verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am the Messiah. So for this woman, this ordinary trip to the well, this everyday moment just turned into an encounter with the Messiah. I learned this from the Bible Project a few days ago, but this is really powerful. This Samaritan woman at the well, we saw this in these verses. It says that Jesus shouldn't have been interacting with her, right? Jews did not interact with Samaritan. To Jews, these Samaritans were outcasts, foreigners, people who Jesus never should have interacted with. But in the Gospel of John, 
John, this woman is actually the first person to whom Jesus reveals his true identity as the Messiah. She's the first one. That should catch our attention like, wow, this is a really, this is a moment with some serious gravity and some real weight for this woman and for Jesus. And I love what happens next, right? Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah and she just drops the water that she drew from the well and runs to town to tell everyone what just happened, right? This, this water that she just drew, it doesn't matter in this moment. She's ready to go tell everyone that she just met living water, right? She's able to let go of this water that will constantly leave her thirsty, coming back for more because she found something that can satisfy her deeper thirst. She can be filled with an abundant and overflowing spring, a well that will never run dry for all eternity. How could you not want that? How could she not want that? How could you not go and tell your neighbors and friends and everyone in the town what just happened? Simply put, to summarize this story, the Samaritan woman went to the well to meet her basic need for water, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus met her, not only at this surface level, but in the depths of her spiritual desire, in the depths of her hunger and thirst for more. So great story. What does it all mean for you and I today? What does this have to do with us and our actual lives? Well, to go back to Springsteen, everybody's got a hungry heart. Or in other words, everybody's thirsty for more, right? And you and I, we might get thirsty for water, but we have access to water. It's not that physical thing. And we probably won't be going to draw water from a well and encounter Jesus there anytime soon. But if you do have a well and you meet Jesus at the well, that would be pretty cool. But like that woman at the well, you and I are thirsty, right? We're thirsty. We have surface level thirst, but we also have deeper spiritual thirst. We long for satisfaction and fulfillment. We long for intimacy, for success, for popularity, for power, and so on, and so on, and so on. And in one way or another, you and I, we do metaphorically show up at the well, right? We draw for water. We're trying to find something to quench our thirst, but we always come back unsatisfied. I don't know about you, but I haven't found that water that quenches my thirst where I never have to go back for more, right? What is it for you? For our thirst for meaning and purpose, we settle for the shallow well of careerism or workaholism. For our thirst for intimate relationships and belonging, we settle for the shallow well of pornography or hookup culture or Instagram likes. For our thirst for deep joy and fulfillment, we settle for the shallow well of a night out with a few too many cocktails or glasses of wine or craft beers, depending on what it is you're into, right? These shallow wells may temporarily quench our thirst, but eventually they leave us unsatisfied. We find ourselves always coming back for more and more and more. What are the shallow wells that you turn to when you're thirsty? Is it escaping reality with another weekend getaway or family vacation or once-in-a-lifetime trip overseas? Is it numbing out with Netflix or just constantly scrolling on your phone? Is it this hustle that you feel to constantly acquire more possessions, more power, more experiences, right? None of these things are wrong in and of themselves, but at the end of the day, they, they leave us unsatisfied. Why? 
Why do they always leave us coming back for more? Because deep down in our souls, our truest, deepest desires cannot be met fully by anyone or anything but God. We leave these shallow wells unsatisfied because what we really thirst for is not more stuff or more success or more you fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, but what we really thirst for is living water. Listen to this quote from Ruth Haley Barton, who leads the Transforming Center. She was a pastor for many years, and now she um, leads communities in spiritual formation. She has a book called Sacred Rhythms, which I highly recommend. But this quote really kind of got me and kind of helped me frame this whole talk. Your desire for more of God than you have right now your longing for love, your need for deeper levels of spiritual transformation than you have experienced so far is the truest thing about you. You might think that your woundedness or your sinfulness is the truest thing about you or that your giftedness or your personality type or your job title somehow defines you. But in reality, it is your desire for God and your capacity to reach for more of God than you have right now that is the deepest essence of who you are. Your desire for more of God is the truest thing about you. Do you think about it like that? Some of you, you're in a season of life right now where this hunger, this thirst, this desire for God is very, very unmistakable. You wake up in the morning just thirsty for more, prayer, worship, scripture. You find yourself throughout the day just reaching out for God and seeking for more. But then there are some of us who feel a little bit numb or disconnected from our desire for God. We know that we should desire more of God, right? So we go to church or we read the Bible or we pray, but nothing really seems to be working at fanning the flame of our faith, right? And I just want to say that is a completely normal part of the spiritual journey. But one of the things that I love, we're in the season of Lent right now, we're a little bit more than halfway through, and one of the things I love about the season of Lent is this emphasis on the practice of fasting. Jade taught on fasting, I think it was two weeks ago. If you missed that week, I recommend checking out the podcast. But one of the things she pointed out, and I found this so powerful, is that one of the primary reasons why we fast from food is to allow our physical hunger to spark in us a deeper spiritual hunger for God. Fasting reminds us what hunger feels like, right? And especially for those of us who, if we're honest, have access to more food than we could ever need, to feel that physical hunger and thirst in our bodies begins to teach us what it can look like to translate physical hunger into spiritual hunger for God. Abstaining from those surface level desires makes space for spiritual hunger to grow and rise up within us. We begin to learn what the psalmist was talking about in Psalm 42, this psalm we've been reading every week as our call to worship. I love the first line. As the deer thirsts for streams of water, so my soul thirsts for you, my God. The practice of fasting not only cultivates that spiritual hunger and thirst, but it also teaches us that these shallow wells, they're not going to satisfy our deepest desires, right? Uh, Food or water is not going to satisfy what we really long for deep down. No, only the deepest well can give us living water that will truly quench our thirst. So whether you find that you're longing and, and deeply desiring God, or maybe you 
you find that you're a little bit numb and you need to press into your desire for God, once we do become aware of our hunger and thirst for God, what can we actually do about it, right? What do we actually do when we're, we're experiencing that thirst and that hunger for God? Well, a couple, a couple chapters later, right, this story about the woman at the well is John 4. A couple chapters later in John 7, Jesus begins to kind of reiterate some of these themes. This is what he says. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So we begin by becoming aware of our thirst, right? Let anyone who is thirsty come and drink. We have to know that we're thirsty to be able to come. But then we're invited to come to Jesus and receive living water. Like the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus is offering us, he's offering anyone who is thirsty to come and be filled with living water, which satisfies at a deep spiritual level. This living water wells up within us for eternity and flows abundantly. But John, who wrote this gospel story again, knows that this idea of living water, at the end of the day, it's still a little bit abstract. It's still a, bit, a little bit like, okay, I don't really understand what does it mean to have living water because I do still get thirsty. Um, he goes on to define exactly what the living water is, okay? So if you're wondering, what is this living water? Here's what it is, verse 39. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The living water that is offered to us in Christ is the Holy Spirit. In other words, our spiritual hunger and thirst can be fully satisfied because the spirit of God wants to dwell within us, right? And yet, for you and me, even though Jesus promises that whoever receives this living water will never thirst again, if we're honest, many of us don't feel satisfied in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? We live our lives a little bit unaware of God's presence and we want God's spirit, but we're unsure of what it looks like to fully receive the God who dwells within us, right? We need disciplines. We need practices that open us to receive the presence of the Holy Spirit as this river of living water that wants to flow within us. Hence why when we talk about spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, the first word is spiritual because the whole point of any practice or discipline is to open us to the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is within us and all around us, right? Here's the thing I think a lot of us kind of wrestle with, especially if maybe you were raised in a certain church culture, right? We, we hunger and thirst for more of God in this lifetime. And many of us have been told, well, you'll, you'll, you'll experience that satisfaction, you know, when you die and when you go to heaven, right? This is something for, for eternity. This isn't something for you to experience right now. No, God wants us to drink from the river of life here and now. Not just when we die and get into heaven. Here's a quote from Richard Foster about this. I think this is so powerful. The goal of the Christian life is not simply to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us. The goal of the Christian life is not simply to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us. 
In other words, the overflowing, abundant, eternal life that Jesus promises is not only about getting into heaven when we die, but it's about receiving God's presence and power with us here and now. It's about receiving the Holy Spirit here and now and putting on the heart and mind of Christ in our everyday, earthy, real lives. So I wanna close with just a few practical ideas for what this could actually look like in practice. As I was just wrestling with this text, I was like, what does this actually mean for our everyday lives? So I want to give us a couple spiritual practices. And these practices, they may not solve it immediately, but the more you press in, I think the more you'll uncover that thirst that's deep within you that Jesus can satisfy as living water. So the first I already mentioned is fasting. Fasting is probably the most powerful spiritual practice to help us uncover our deep spiritual hunger and thirst. If this is new to you, I'd encourage you to start by fasting. I'd encourage you to, to to do traditional fasting, which is fasting from food. You can also do all sorts of other fasts, social media, you know, shopping, all sorts of things. But I would just encourage you to start by fasting from maybe one meal a week. Um, As a church, we're inviting everyone to fast from lunch on Fridays and set aside that space and that time to feel in your body what it looks like for you to hunger for God and then ask God to help you translate that into spiritual hunger and thirst. Again, if you want to learn more about fasting, check out Jade's sermon from a few weeks ago. But another practice that helps us receive living water is um, a practice that it might be new for some of you. It's called holy indifference, a a spiritual practice of holy indifference. We know what indifference is, many of us, right? It's that feeling of like unconcernedness or kind of not really caring, being able to let go. I feel indifferent toward that thing. Holy indifference, though, is a little bit different. It's not only, it's not really about being unconcerned or not caring about something, but it's more about being able to surrender the outcome or to surrender something over to God. Jesus himself models this practice of holy indifference when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Right? As we can see from this prayer, this example from Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Holy indifference is not about being unaware of our desires, right? Jesus knew his desire, Father, take this cup from me. But it's about being able to let go of them when they don't serve us or when they don't help us to love and serve God. Here's an example maybe of what this could look like today. I know a lot of people my age, a lot of my friends are, are kind of always looking for new jobs. They feel a little bit discontent in their current job and they're looking for a new one. So they apply for a job and they go through all the rounds of interviews and then they know, okay, I'm gonna be finding out in the next few days whether or not I get the job. And they know their desire, right? They want this new job. But at the same time, They can't control whether or not they get the job. And at the end of the day, deep down, what they really want is to continue loving and serving God no matter where they work. So given that situation, let's insert the practice of holy indifference. What would holy indifference look like in this situation? 
Well, it could start by them going before God in prayer and naming this desire, God, I want this new job. But then they could go a step further and say, God, but deep down what I really desire is to love and serve you no matter where I work, no matter where I am. And then they go even further than that and ask the Holy Spirit to help give them a sense of holy indifference, knowing that with either outcome, they will continue to be loved by God, continue to be with God, and continue to serve God. Holy indifference is our way of joining Jesus in the prayer, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. So it's, it's owning our desire. It's naming it before God. And then it's surrendering it and saying, God, do what you want to do with that. God, we thank you for your promise to be living water to us. We thank you that our hunger and our thirst, our desires for more of you are the truest thing about us. Help us to learn the, the difficult art of discerning what are our true deep desires for you and what are the ones that we can hand over and surrender and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And we pray, God, you meet us in this, this space of desire, in this space of longing, that you quench our thirsts, that these shallow wells cannot quench, but that you would be that deeper well that satisfies our deepest, truest spiritual longings. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.